Uh, we're in a series uh, called Alone, and you know it's easy to to be in life and have people all around you. You can have people in, in your workplace, you can have people in your school, and you're around people all the time. You can have people in church, you can be in church, and yet you can, and even uh, in just uh, so many different areas of your life, you can be doing life, and then you look up and you realize, although you've got people all around you, you are still very alone. As a matter of fact, um, you know, God's people uh, have a tendency to get in cycles. Everybody say the word cycles or certain patterns. And, and so they get caught in these cycles. It's like uh, God's, God's uh, children, uh, uh, the children of Israel. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that they wandered around in the desert. When they left Egypt, they wandered around the desert for how many years? It was, it was right at 40 years they wandered around. If you look at it on the map and you could retrace their steps and you could see that, you could see that they were just caught in a cycle over and over, going around the same mountains, dealing with the same issues over and over again. Uh, one of my favorite places in the Bible is in first Samuel 17. And you, you see God's people, once again, they're caught in this cycle. They're just over and over again. Goliath is coming out and he's talking trash and he's saying things and nobody's responding. So again, for 40 days, they were caught in a, what it was a cycle or a pattern until somebody broke the cycle. Everybody say, break the cycle. Oh, say a little bit more exciting than that. Break the cycle. There you go. All right. And so, um, so today I want to talk to you about breaking cycles in marriage. Say, yes, glad we're hearing that (laughs) breaking, breaking cycles, breaking cycles in marriage. And, and if you're not married today, just listen, married folks, just say it really loud. Say, tell those that are not married yet. Just say, listen, because you can, this will help you. Or if you are married, listen, If you're recovering from a bad marriage, listen, okay? I want to talk to you again about breaking cycles, breaking cycles in marriage. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write uh, write this down. The first cycle that we're going to talk about is the cycle of having no vision, no vision. We're talking about cycles in marriage. And the first cycle that we want to look at is the cycle that we can get caught up. And that is in, and this is the cycle of having no vision because you can get caught up in a cycle in a marriage of having no vision. And what happens is I promise. I promise you, I promise you, given a certain amount of time, I don't know how long it will take, but ultimately you and your husband both will feel very alone. Again, say alone. You'll feel very alone in that relationship, very alone in that, in that, in that, in that marriage. And, and so the, the, the question that I want to ask you today for the married folks is this, what's the vision for your marriage? What is your vision? Husbands and wives, what is your vision? What is it that, that you're, you're, you're looking at? What is it that you're, you're focused, focused on? So I could say it another way. What is your plan for your future? Because if you don't have a plan for your future, I can tell you someone that's going to introduce a plan to your future, and it's called the enemy. <laughs> He's got a plan. God's got a plan. And I know from experience of, of being married for uh, 28 years uh, and then being in pastoring for these many years, I can tell you, I promise you, it's better when you are hooked up with God's plan for your marriage. Can somebody say a big amen to that? 
So, so it's important because what happens is if you don't have a common vision, if you don't have a common vision, what's going to happen is you will have competing visions. In other words, husbands, you're going to have this vision. You're going to, you're going to have this vision. Wives, you're going to have this vision over here. And ultimately what happens if, if there are two different visions, there is dove vision and you will begin to compete in the marriage. How many knows that, that a marriage is not supposed to be about competition? Unless you are competing in a healthy way to outserve one another. I mean, that can be a good thing. So, so it's impossible for a, a, a marriage to succeed. It's impossible for a husband and wife to succeed in a marriage unless they have a vision for, for their marriage, a, a plan for their marriage. Amos 3, 3 says, can two people walk together without what? Agreeing on the, the, what? the direction that they're going to they're go. So there are a couple reasons that, that, that you can have competing visions or no vision in, in, in a marriage. Number one is that you can have past experiences. In other words, that, 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 that you, both, both husbands and wives come into a marriage with past experiences. When Sandy and I, we don't do as much premarital counseling as we used to. But one of the things I love to do in premarital counseling is ask the couples, tell me about your marriage. Excuse me, not your marriage. Tell me, they're getting ready to get married. They can't talk about that. Tell me about your parents' marriage. Tell me about your family. What was your family life like? And you had two different extremes. You know, you had, you had the, the, the leave it to beaver kind. How many knows what I'm talking about? How many, does anybody remember leave it to beaver? Google it, okay? It's, it's a healthy Google it anyway. All right, but, but leave it to Beaver kind of a family was, was when, when, the, when the father came home, the, ma, the, the wife and the mother, she was waiting at the door with his, you know, his pipe and his cigar, not his, his pipe and his shoes and things like that. And she had the dinner was ready all on the table when he came in. And I mean, it was just a beautiful scene. The kids came in and, you know, there were never really any huge issues in the family. So you have it the leave it to beaver kind of, a, of, of experience. And then, and then you have the other kind of experience. You know what I'm talking about? It's just that place was crazy. Growing up in the house was crazy. It was, it was full of chaos. It was very unpredictable. Things were always changing. Nothing was ever the same. There was no stability. And so what happens is, is that two individuals that are getting married, they come into a relationship with that type of experience. So they have that, that kind of a vision that that's what marriage is going to be like often. Another reason that you could have competing visions is that, that both have your own way of looking at things. In other words, you have your own way. In other words, this is the way it's going to be done. This is my way or the highway. So the problem is when you begin to compete, you'll work to compete for getting your way, what happens is you'll always, you'll always go in for the win. You're always looking and you're always want to take that position because you're, you're saying, I'm here, you're there, and you're going to come to me. I'm not coming to you. Are you following me? And so there are some critical areas. And let, let me just say this. If you're married, it's never too late to start. If you're going to get married one day, go ahead and put, write this down. I mean, just go write this down. This is what I need to do. Some critical areas that you want to establish a common vision is, is number one, spiritual growth. In other words, we're going to do this. We're going to do this God's way. 
Not going to do it your way, not going to do it my way. We're going to come together, and the vision is, the plan is, we're going to do this thing God's way. How many knows, again, that there is the world's way, there's culture's way, and then there's God's way, and God's way always works? Can somebody say a big amen to that? You may want to uh, get on the same page concerning spending money. Don't raise your hands, married folks, but how many in the room have ever had issues over and arguments over spending money? Well, you can have a common vision, get a budget, say this, this is the plan, this is what we're going to do. Uh, uh, You could get on the same page and have the vision as far as raising kids. Are we going to discipline our kids? The answer should be, yep, you better. (laughs) Kids will drive you cray-cray if you don't get some boundaries in your, I mean, you're not doing them a favor, you know, without having... By not having some healthy boundaries. But, but you, so you want to have the common vision there. You, then this, this is a really good one. This is so good. You want to get on the same page and have a common vision in regards to uh, what quality of love are you going to have in your marriage? What quality of love? Are you going to have a low quality or high quality? Are you going to have just human, natural, emotional love? Or are you going to have God's love? Because human, just natural, emotional love, that that love's not going to work for you. But I can tell you this for sure. God's love, if you choose and it becomes your vision and purpose to have God's love as the love that you're going to love each other with, I promise you, your marriage will succeed. And you will break out of a cycle of selfish. You'll break out of those things and, and to a place that God desires for you to be. Can I have a big amen there? So human or low quality love says, I love you because I love you if I love you when. But that's a low quality love. A high quality love simply says, I love you and there's nothing that you can do, ever do to change that. Talking about having the common vision. I love you and there is nothing that you can ever do to change that love. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that not sound a lot like the love of God and the way that God loves us? Thank you for that overwhelming response. (laughs) High quality, listen, doesn't just say, high quality love does. John 3, 16, one of my, actually, this is the first uh, verse Bible scripture that I ever memorized. It was in like, I was like four years old. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the what? For God so loved the what? That he did what? He, that's high quality love. High quality love doesn't just say high quality love does. So you want to break the cycle that you're caught in? Stop, get a vision and get Some vision, God's vision for your marriage. Get a plan. Can somebody say amen to that? All right. And next cycle that you can get caught up in and that can literally lead to being alone and lonely is the cycle of fighting. (laughs) How many married folks in the house ever had a fight in your marriage? Uh, Okay, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to pray for lying because. uh, Because the truth is uh, conflicts are inevitable. Conflicts are going to happen. I mean, it's, you bring two people together, sparks at some point are going to fly. But, 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 and that's the reason that, that God gives us tons, I mean, tons of instruction as to how we can handle these conflicts, not if, but when they happen. But, it, but, but here, here, here is what you want to, here's what you want to do to break the cycle of fighting in an unhealthy way. You want to learn how to fight fair. 
You want to learn how to fight God's way. First Peter 3, 8, 9 says, finally, all of you should be in agreement. All of you means who? It's not tricks right there. All of you means who? All. Finally, all of you should be in agreement, understanding each other, loving each other as, uh, as family, being kind and humble. Watch this. Do not... Do not do wrong and repay a wrong and do, in, do, do, and do not insult to repay an insult. But repay with a blessing because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a what? A blessing. In order to deal, you, you can deal with conflict one of two ways. You can do it God's way or you can do it the enemy's way. You can do it God's way or you can do it culture's way. Culture's way says this, hey, you get out the dagger, I'm going to get mine out. You want to hit me with an insult? I got three waiting. You, you want to you wanna slice me? Baby, I've got four more coming back at you. That's repaying. Are you following me? But see, God's, God's way of resolving conflict doesn't work that way. But what you want to do, what you want to do, because um, uh, conflicts are inevitable, you want to get the ground rules in place before you fight. In other words, you want to agree, you want to come up with a plan, and you want to say, all right, when a conflict happens, here's how we're going to handle that. Can anybody believe that would be a great idea? Because the last thing that you want to do is come up with a plan in the heat of the moment. I mean, how many here in the room would go believe that you would actually stop? I mean, you know, the, 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 the temperature's rising in the room and the emotions just trying to get hot. How, how many believe that you're probably going to stop and say, wait a second. Let's just take a break just for a moment because we want to come up with some ground rules. No, no, no. You've already got the knives out. You've already got the daggers out. You're ready to get after it. No, you want to get this. You want to get these rules in place. You want to get these guidelines in place before you get to that point. So let me just give you few examples of some great boundaries that you can have in place, some good rules, some ground rules that you can have in place before you fight. Number one, it's good to agree that you're not going to bring up past failures. Not, not going to bring up past failures. Do you remember when? I didn't want to make that decision, but you wanted to make it, and that's why we are where we are. Everybody look at me. Bringing up the past isn't fair. Do you know why? We can't do anything about it. I love what my, one of my favorite quotes from my pastor, Pastor Sam, he's our senior pastor, is you can't unscramble eggs. Is that, is that not good or what? You, I mean, they're scrambled. You can't unscramble eggs. And, and so the truth is, it's not fair to bring up somebody else's past because they, they can't do anything about it. Now, here's another one. When a conflict happens, don't be in it to win it, in it to win it. Listen, you don't want to fight each other. You want to fight for a solution. You don't want to fight each other. Really, when you go into it with a good plan, you're going, we are in this and we are going to fight for a solution. We are going to fight for God's best. We're going to, we're not going to fight with each other. We're going to fight for God's best in our marriage. Can somebody say a great big amen to that? The last one I would say this is, is, is uh, divorce is not even an option. In other words, sit down and say, okay, when conflict happens, the D word, not even on the table. Everybody listen to me. If 
If divorce is an option for you, eventually, given the right circumstances, you'll exercise that option. It'll happen. So that's the reason, that's the reason you want to set these ground rules because what happens is, is that, that couples, they'll, they'll come together. And this is, this is not just in marriage. This can be in any relationship, right? But, but, but you come together and, and how many have ever seen people, I know this never happens in your marriage or your family or your whatever, but, but they keep fighting over the same thing over and over and over. And that cycle will continue until you break it. And you break it by saying, this is how we're going to fight. We're going to fight God's way. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Here's the next one. The cycle of distractions. Get caught in cycles of distractions. How many, is there anybody here that gets easily distracted? Anybody here that gets easily distracted? I can, I can be. Sam's going into Sam's club. It's not good for me. It is not good. Especially if I'm hungry. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? If you're hungry, do not go into Sam's, right? Because what's going to happen? You walk in and I'm just like a, a hound dog. I'm, oh, that smells good. I'm, I'm over here, you know, and, and then I'll, I'll get a sample. You know, isn't it amazing? Listen, you want to go on a cheap date? Go to Sam's when they're giving samples. <laughs> it's awesome because you just walk around and say, oh, I'll take one of those. And then come back by a little bit later and say, I'll take another one. That was so good. I'm thinking about it. Give me another one. I want to. I'm on the fence with this one. I may buy if I have another one. And so I can get distracted. But the truth is all of us can get distracted, right? But I want to I drill down and I want to open, open up this, this little area right here that can be kind of touchy when it comes to distractions. Okay. It's called kids. I mean, I mean, I know that kids are a blessing. Speaking of kids, we have two daughters, Faith and Haley. And um, uh, both are married. Praise you, Jesus. I got a raise when they both got married. Thank you, Father. And um, both of them are pregnant at the same time with our first biological grandkids. And so we're very excited. Faith faith is due like any day with little Mabel Grace. I, we pulled up in the in their driveway yesterday, Friday, Friday. And, uh, and, and she's standing out there and she is great with child. And I looked at her and I was like, sister looks like she's ready to have that baby. So I got out and I hug her. I call her Rudy and said, Rudy, how you doing? She said, dad, I am so over being pregnant. I mean, so she is. And you know what? I, I, this sounds horrible, but but I'm men. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that we we can't get pregnant? Is anybody here? I'm going to tell you what. If men could get pregnant, if men, if it were up to men to have babies, if it were up to men to have babies, there would be like seven people on the planet. I mean, it would just be like, no, no, not going to happen. So anyway. So anyway, listen to what Psalm uh, 127.5 says. It says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, talking about kids. But, but kids are a blessing, but they also can become a distraction. <laughs> just just young, young families, just parents, listen to me. It's not their fault, though. It, it's not the kid's fault because, because uh, raising kids, it, it's very time-consuming. That's the reason we're looking forward to grandkids because they just come over. We love on them and spoil them and we just send them back home. And so uh, this, this is great. Somebody said the reward, the reward for not killing your kids is grandkids. And so 
And, and so, but, but I remember, I remember how challenging and how taxing it is because kids can be very time consuming. And so what happens is if it, 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 all your attention could go on raising, into raising these kids. And so what happens is, uh, though, the sad thing is you get distracted by that and you can sacrifice your marriage to be a parent. And so another, another reason that, that kids can be a distraction at times, and again, it's not their fault, but, but parents attempt to live their lives through their kids. They, they, they attempt to live their life through their kids. In other words, that I didn't have this when I was a kid or I missed out on this when I was a kid. So I'm going to begin to live my life, so to speak, through my kids to make sure that they have everything that I didn't have. Everybody look at me. That's a trap. Because again, you can get distracted by that and you will sacrifice your marriage to be a parent instead of being a husband and a wife. Sometimes it's, we just want to be viewed as great parents. In other words, it's, we want everybody to see social media, man, me and the, my little ones and my, oh, they look so awesome, they're so cute. Well, why didn't you take a picture like 20 minutes before when it was taking you all this time to get them lined up and just perfect and the snot off their nose and everything to take the picture because we don't want to see that, but we don't want people to see that. We want people to see the social media because side of things because we want to look good. And who doesn't want to be a great parent? But, but listen, don't get caught up in the, being the, the, having the image of a great parent. Be focused on being a great parent. And listen to me. And one of the greatest gifts you can give your kid is a great marriage. So how do we do that? How do we, because I, I, I see it so often. I see cycles and I can see it. How does that, how does it, how's that broken? Here's the answer. Here's how you break the cycle. Dad and mom come first. You, you make that, you say that mom and dad, they come first. We come first. You say, but, but my kids, they mean everything to me. But let me say this. That is a dangerous thing to say. Because when you say that, what are you saying to your spouse? You're second. What are you saying to your kids? You're first. Ladies and gentlemen, that's out of order. And here's, here's what, here's what, here's what, here's what you have to understand. Everybody look at me. Kids are not going to be with you forever. (laughs) <laughs> I know you don't like to think about this, but one day they're going to be gone. Now, yeah, yes, I, I knew I'd get an amen out of somebody. <laughs> and listen, when they're, when they're young, you just, you just, I remember, I remember the girls, I remember the thought of the girls driving, getting their own license, getting in a vehicle by themselves scared me. But I can tell you, when it came time for them to drive, I was counting down the days. Are you following me? Listen, there will be a point in your life, there'll be a point in your life, parents, that that you will be counting down the days for them to leave the house. If, listen to me, if if you don't, everybody listen to me, don't get mad. I'm just coming in, I'm going to leave, right? If you don't, you're making a big mistake. I want to keep them forever. I want to be, I want to mama them forever. I want to daddy them forever. I want to take care of them forever. You're making a mistake. 
The Bible says that we should train up our kids in the way that they should not stay. They should do what? Go. So what we're doing is, and when we're raising them, listen to me, parents, we are training them for that moment. Listen, I, I see it. I don't know why I'm staying on this, but I see it soft. And what happens is, is, is that, that parents create such a dependency on them that their kids can't trust God. Moving right along. The cycle of resentment. That's another one you have to break. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, look, at, uh, look after each other so that uh, not one of you will fail to find God's best blessing. Watch this. And watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. See, sometimes people get caught in this, this cycle. It's a cycle of of resentment and the reason they get caught up in a res- and what happens is if they they stay in that cycle long enough what happens is is that they get isolated and they'll begin to put up these walls these emotional walls and they'll have these walls in place and they'll be alone they'll have family the kids will be there and their husband will be there or their wife will be there but they're still very much what they're still very much alone you say, well, how could that happen? I mean, how, how could that, how could that, how could that happen in a marriage? Because, you know, a lot of times people, people think, gosh, when, when, it, it, you know, we put the ring on, it's just something amazing that's going to happen. And it's true. There is something amazing that takes place when you get married in the eyes of God. And it should be that. Can somebody say amen to that? But everybody look at me. Uh, th- this, a ring doesn't change people. Only the spirit of God can change people. So what, what, what happens is, is, and I got a little ahead of myself there, but, but, but nevertheless, what happens is we get married and then we're together and then we begin to discover some things. That, that one that, that seemed to complete me in the beginning, he gets on my nerves. And she was so incredible. She was amazing. So hot. She's so beautiful. And then something happens along the way. You get married, and then it's like, what was I thinking? So resentment sets in. The cycle of resentment stays in place, and before long, we're very alone. Get hurt, neglected. But you know, most of the time, everybody, that happens because of unrealistic expectations going into a marriage. It's just not realistic. I think it's going to be this. <laughs> we have a life group. And um, I believe this very strongly. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be in a life group. Need to be in a, can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Yeah. If you really want to be like, if you really want to be like Jesus, you lead a life group. It's true. Jesus led a life group. He led a small group. Twelve guys. He was together. Nevertheless, we're doing one with singles. Like from 30 and under. It is fun because they just want to know how you do life. So we were talking about marriage. And so I said, what do you guys think marriage is going to be like when you get married? It was a blast listening because I'm thinking, you got something to learn. And boy, you got something to learn. And oh, yeah, yeah. You just hold on. You just thinking that way. Yeah, you just we talk about it. Right. But a lot of times we all we all done that. We've all gone into marriage or in a relationship with unrealistic realistic expectations. Before long, we realize that these, these people that are supposed to complete us are messed up. 
But, but here, here, here's the point that I want to make right here. Listen, so are we. Because marriage happens when two messed up people come together. To, to, yeah, I, I do. I, I believe, yeah, God has a sense of humor. He's like, okay, Jesus, watch this. I got this one over here and this one over here. We're going to bring those two together. It's going to be, um, watch this. They are going to need you, Jesus, when they come together because to make this thing work. Unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. Best of people coming together. I remember, um, but what, what can happen though, it, you can get caught in this cycle and you get alone because you put up barriers. And um, what can happen is, is you begin to notice these faults and you begin to notice these things, but also there are faults and things in you. And you begin to look at their faults and you begin to look at their issues. And what happens is your focus goes so much on them and you draw away from that because you're disappointed, you're mad at God, for God, why did you bring him into my life? And what happens is, is that you look at that person and you're looking at all the faults and you look at all the negativity that you think is negative, which could be positive if you just would look at it a different way. But you look at those things and, and, and you begin to draw away. You begin to resent that. And what happens is, is those few things begin to eclipse all the amazing things that your spouse is. Your focus goes on those few little negatives and you lose sight of all the amazing things. In that person's life. I remember there were several things that, that, that I would, would, I mean, there were more uh, probably that Sandy would look at me and would go, God, help him. Which is the truth. But I remember with Sandy, there were things that, that I would look at Sandy like, like being on time. Our, our plan for being on time, we were on two different planets. <laughs> two different planets. Opposite end of the spectrums, Right? So her, this was a while back. A while back. Her idea of being on time was like, it's okay if we get there right when it starts. My idea of being on time is like being there 15 minutes early. And we had to work through that. But what happened was that I began to look at that and I was going, God, would you fix her? She should respect time better. She should be more prompt. I mean, you're by the Bible talks a lot about time and she just can't get it right, God. So I would get so frustrated and even a little bit of resentment and begin to creep up. And, and I got caught in that and begin to realize and look at her. And that's all I would see when those moments would come up. And I forgot how amazing woman she was. I forgot about how loyal that she was. I forgot about how that she was not a busybody, but she is a classy lady full of grace the in my opinion one of the best i've ever seen at walking in love i those things were eclipsed by eclipsed by she can't be on time like me and so i I went to god and said god would you fix her and you know what god said nothing (laughs) he wouldn't talk about her but you know what he did he said, let's, let's talk about you, John. And it was at that moment, little, not at that exact moment, it was the beginning. It was that moment was the beginning of me going, you know what? It's not really that big of a deal if we're not 15 minutes early. It's not that big of a deal. God began to work on me. 
And that cycle was broken. Not to mention that every once in a while I'm not tempted to kind of, but, but nevertheless, that's a whole other story. As I wrap up this morning, as I wrap up this morning, um, I want to talk to you just for a moment about breaking the cycle of selfishness. Breaking the cycle of selfishness. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. One of the quickest things that will isolate you and cause you to be lonely and alone in a marriage or any relationship is selfishness. If you don't break the cycle of selfishness, guaranteed, you're going to be very alone in a marriage. Your husband or your wife will be here and you will be here and there is a great gulf between you. This is also true really in any relationship. It can be in a friendship. It can be in church. It can be... It can just, it's just there. It can be anywhere. The selfishness will isolate and you will find yourself being very alone. I want to take you back to um, um, a moment in time that Jesus dealt with this. And let me just say this about cycles of selfishness. You have to break the cycle. It has to be broken. Somebody has to do something about it. It just doesn't go away. One of our values here at Life United is unity. And here's what we say about unity. We value unity. And we work very hard to create it, but also to protect it. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Unity is created. And it was, it was, it was demonstrated by Jesus towards the end of his life on the earth. You remember Jesus was a life group leader and he had 12 guys who followed him and walked very close with, closely with him. And so they were walking towards, this is towards, again, towards the end of uh, Jesus' life. Jesus knew the end was near and he was going to Jerusalem and he knew that he would never make this trip again. This was it. And so Jesus is walking along and they, they stopped and they took a break and two of the disciples, two of the 12, came over to Jesus, James and John, and they said, Jesus, would you... Would you do something for us? We want, we want a favor from you. Jesus said, sure, if I can, I'll do it. They said, listen, in the next life, would you let us sit one on your left and one on your right? And Jesus said, you really don't know what you're asking. They said, oh, no, we can, we can handle that. So from that conversation, somehow the other ten found out about it. Look what happened in Mark 10, 41. It says, when the 10 heard this, they became indignant with James and John because it was an us and them thing, right? Are you following this? It was an us and thing. There was, there was, there. see, because they were very selfish because they, that's the reason they came to Jesus. Everybody look at me. They wanted privilege. Let me just say this about privilege. You don't want to give privilege in marriage. You don't want to give privilege to your kids. Because if you give privilege to your kids, you give privilege to somebody in your life. What happens is, is that whenever there's privilege, there's always an us and them. Always. Because privilege is getting something that other people can't have. And that's exactly what James and John were wanting. So you had James and John, they were over here. 
And you had the other 10 that were over here. And there was a great gulf here. Well, maybe it wasn't a gulf because that's where Jesus was at. And look at the next verse. It says, verse 42, Jesus called them what? Unity doesn't have by accident. Unity's created. James and John, other 10, come on. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. So they came together. And he said, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But watch this. Not so with you guys. It's not the way it's going to work, guys. The way you're wanting to do this thing, that's the way the world works. But not with me. He brought them together. He said, not so with you, verses 43 and 44. And he said, not so with you instead. Watch this. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. Listen to what verse 45 said. This is incredible. Listen to what Jesus, he's, he's, he's teaching here. He's creating unity. And he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to what? To, to what? To give his life as ransom for many. So they start walking again. You think, well, that's, that's over. That's good teaching. We had some division. Jesus pulled us together. Had to come to Meeting Jesus, come to meeting Jesus with Jesus. That's pretty powerful. But hours before Jesus was arrested, hours before Jesus was arrested, they were having is what we know is the Last Supper. Right? So they're there, they're with the disciples in the room. And again, this, this, this conversation that Jesus had had, had was just, just a few hours before. The teaching moment. So they're together and look what happens in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 4 and 5 of John. So he got up from the meal, talking about Jesus. He took off his outer. Now, now, now remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to do what? To, and he said, this is, this is the way we do this, right? He got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, watch this, and began to wash his disciples' feet. These are the same hands that touched dead people and they came back to life. These are the same hands, same exact hands that touched blind people's eyes and they saw again. These are the same hands that gathered the little kids around him when they came to him. Now these same hands are washing the feet of his disciples. Same hands that in just a few hours would have stakes, steel stakes, steel nails driven through them. And he's washing the disciples' feet. Why? Because Jesus said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to what? To, we're talking about breaking the cycle of selfishness. So is he done? No, he's not done. John 13, 14 through 17 says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash 
one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very, uh, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, now that you what? You know these things. Now that you know, I've talked to you, I've demonstrated, I've done it. And now that you know these things, what? Do them. You'll be blessed if you what? You do them. Listen. Unity and the cycle of selfishness is not broken just by talking about it. The cycle of selfishness that will isolate you and cause you to be very alone will only be broken when you're willing to serve each other. And in a sense, wash each other's feet. I almost had an old-fashioned foot washing this morning, but I couldn't figure out logistically how to do it. But what would it be like, husbands, wives? Maybe if you had some private time and you said, you know what, I want to serve you. And literally, maybe wash each other's feet. Or you could do this. I want to serve you. And you tell me how to serve you. And I'll wash your feet by serving you the way that you need to be served. Not the way that I need to be served. The way that you need to be served. Because when we do that, the cycle of selfishness is broken. Because unity doesn't happen by accident. It's created. It's created. When we're willing not to just talk about it, but to do it, to serve each other. So, and I'm, I'm over like 11 minutes. I'm so sorry. But why, everybody listen to me. Why do we need to get this right? Why is it so important, please listen, that we get this right? Why? Why is it so important that we get it right? Here's why. Because the relationship between a husband and wife has the greatest potential to show what a relationship with God and his church should look like. That's why we got to get this right. You know, listen to me. Everybody watch, listen to me. People are not reading their Bibles much anymore. But listen, but they're still watching people. They're not reading their Bibles. But do you know what? We're epistles. That's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get this right. And not living our life alone in every area, but especially in our marriages. Break the cycles. Break the cycles. Will you bow your heads just for a moment?